Now, last Lord's Day, we introduced our focus on suicide. I want to remind you of what I said at that time for the purpose of that message. And I want to quote from my notes so you can have it for sure. This is what I said when I introduced this first message. I want to begin by addressing the matter of why some may decide that taking one's life is the best way out of certain dire circumstances and what we can do to prevent it from happening among members of the incredible body of Christ here at ABC. ABC, CBC. <laughs> I don't know if that's a Freudian slip or what, but it, uh, CBC. Um, I then went on to explain that the current pressing major cause for the suicides that had occurred to that point, and in fact, uh, some are still uh, going in that direction, most of them were related to the financial needs that many attribute to the downturn in our economy. Although, of course, this is not always, or even primarily, the cause for someone taking their life. But my objective was to assure our family members here at Calvary Bible that we were here for one another and that our family was a safe haven for all members, no matter what their need may be. We want to reiterate that. We want to encourage you to know we are here for you. So please don't be afraid to share your needs. But I praise the Lord that I believe that we accomplished this to a little bit last Lord's Day. Amen? And we thank God for that. But now today, as we continue with our focus on this pressing issue in our community, and I say it is pressing because you probably have heard and I've been reliably informed that Many counselors have been dealing with individuals who have been thinking about taking their lives. We're very pleased and happy, thank the Lord, that we've heard of none who have succeeded up to this point. But our purpose this morning is to address a few of the biblical and theological issues that arise concerning the issue of suicide. And I do so because we continue to get these questions. Uh, people call, people send emails, and even you see it in the newspapers, for instance, uh, and we get all kinds of answers. For instance, let me show you an excerpt we got from the Nassau Guardian very recently. It's up on the screen. I'm sure that some of you, if not all of you, saw this. And these gentlemen or brethren, leaders of different churches, gave their response, their thinking, on the question as to whether or not if a Christian commits suicide, they will go to heaven. One, as you saw there, was very absolute. No, they won't. In fact, he's very emphatic on that. The other two individuals were not so emphatic. One just didn't know. He says he doesn't think that anyone can know. The other said he would like to think that a Christian who commits suicide would go to heaven. But he doesn't know. He cannot give any assurance for that. And why I am concerned about it is because when a person commits suicide, a family is left behind. 
And we really sometimes are not aware of how desperate their situation can be emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. The family who's left behind. Sometimes there's a stigma left on them. Because throughout the years, some of the churches were teaching that because of the fact that this is an unpardonable sin, they would not even bury the person who commits suicide. And so there's a stigma that is left on the family. And that's why I believe this is important. Some say, well, if you give any kind of assurance that a person who commits suicide will go to heaven, maybe you'll encourage him to do it. No, that's not the reason at all. It's not the purpose. We are looking to provide comfort for the families who are left behind. And we must not forget them. They undergo much more emotional stress than the person and their family who dies ordinarily for regular causes. A suicide leaves some very traumatic impact upon a family who's left behind. But I'm going to offer a third position than the ones you saw here. One, definitely no. The other, I don't know. The Bible don't seem to address it. Well, I offer a third position this morning. One that offers certain assurance that even in the case of suicide, a genuine, truly born again, you see what I'm emphasizing? The person who's really a Christian, not just a mere professor. We say a born-again Christian, you realize they're not any other kind. Right? To be Christian, you have to be born again. If you're a child of God, if you're a child of God, you are a child of God. And so I believe that a genuine, truly born-again child of God will and in fact must join his Savior. Now notice I say must. Join his Savior in glory when they die. That's just a part of their being in the family of God. It goes with the territory. And I take this position because the Bible is extremely clear, in my opinion, on this issue of eternal life and the believer in Christ. But let me, as usual, validate this proposition from the Word of God. Let me begin and, and go in stages. That's why I say we're going to finish it up tonight and go all the way through today here. Let's go through stages. And let me ask a first question. Can a child of God commit suicide? Some will believe that. You cannot be Christian and commit suicide. Some actually believe that. You see, they have to believe that because they believe that if anybody commits suicide, they go to hell. And so they say, well, that means then if a person commits suicide, he's not a Christian at all in the first place. That's one position. You see, I believe, unfortunately, the Bible does teach that a child of God can commit suicide. In fact, a child of God can commit any kind of sin. One passage of Scripture is sufficient, I believe, to validate this answer. Now, of course, we actually don't need the Scripture to tell us. If you are a professing Christian, ask yourself. But we go to the Bible for our authority. And now we turn to 1 John chapter 1. I begin at verse 8. Now, 1 John is a very vital book for the Christian and insurance. 
John here is describing in detail the characteristics of the children of God and the characteristics of the children of the devil. And he's very clear, if you're one, you can't be the other. There's no in-between. John is a real black and white preacher. It's this way or that way. No in-between. You cannot be a child of God and a child of the devil at the same time. Very clear. And he goes through many points here. But look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth in us is not in us. To whom is he writing? He's writing to believers. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Somebody is being deceived, but it's only yourself. The people who know you, you're not deceiving them. You're certainly not deceiving God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's one of the most glorious passages of scriptures in scripture. That when I sin, and I acknowledge the sin and confess it, God cleanses us by the blood of Christ. That's a wonderful passage of scripture. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And notice, he didn't say we lie. Now, of course, we are. But we make God a liar. Why? Because God says we can sin. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John is very clear. His word does not dwell in us if we say that we don't sin. John is speaking to believers. He says we lie if we say if we, we do not sin. And not only that, we make God a liar as well. Now listen what he says in chapter 2 verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you. What? The things you just read. And the others. But these things just read. These things to you so that you may not sin. Now I say, I, I'm hoping, I'm wishing that you don't sin. But notice the next passage. And, or we could put the however or but. If anyone does sin, you see, he knows you're going to sin. Actually, we could put when there. When you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That's another glorious passage. Jesus Christ, the righteousness. Is that name? There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, but the name of Jesus. We have, no, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world who would believe in him. That's the context. The entire Bible is clear, I believe. Christians, children of God, do sin. And sin is sin. If you commit one kind of sin, you can commit any kind of sin, including the killing of yourself. But someone will say, what about what John says later in this book? Chapter 3, verse 15. It says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Boy, that's clear, isn't it? Black and white. No one who commits murder can be a Christian, according to this text, because they do not have eternal life residing in them. Isn't that what it says? This means that the person who commits suicide cannot go to heaven. 
even if he or she was a Christian before they committed the act. See, that's what some get from this verse. That's amazing. But look at it. It does teach that, doesn't it? Does it? You see, my response to this is simple and direct. This is a classic illustration of the danger of taking a text out of its context and also the spiritual and emotional harm in doing so when somebody does take a text out of context. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. See, he's trying to give the assurance to believers as to what they can know gives them eternal life. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. So love of the brethren is something a Christian must have for them, in them. Now I don't care how long you've been saved, how much money you give to the church, if you harbor hatred for a brother and sister, and you say, I can never speak to her, I hate her with my entire being, Examine yourself, see whether or not you be in the faith. Love for the brethren is an essential mark of the child of God. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You see, he, from the spiritual point of view, from the greater righteousness than the Pharisees' perspective, you don't have to do the deed to be a murderer. You just got to think about it in your heart. And if you had the opportunity, you would do it if you can get away with it. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. See, the person who is continually hating his brother is a murderer. And when you have that continual attitude in your life, you're not a Christian. That's what John says. Now go to verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So he's talking about this person up here who is abiding in death. Everybody who abides in death is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So what is he saying? This makes it clear that the person being referred to in verse 15 is a person who abides in death. In other words, he was never a believer. No matter what they profess. We could look at it this way. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Now notice, he who does not love abides in death. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding him. Who's he talking about? The same person he's talking about in verse 14, who never had faith in the first place. Remember also that John's intent is, in his letter is to both describe and contrast the children of the devil and the children of God. He's making it clear in this passage that continual ongoing way of life, hatred in the heart of someone for another person indicates that he or she is a child of the devil and not a child of God. So when John says no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, he does not mean that a murderer cannot be saved or if he was saved, lost, loses salvation if he commits Suicide, taking of his own life. John simply means that a person who characteristically hates another uh, person is a potential murderer. And if he continues to harbor such attitudes in the heart, that's an indication that he was never born again in the first instance. Here is a vital truth that we must remember. Jesus' death and resurrection took care of the penalty and final judgment of the believer's sin forever. Past, present, and future. That's the death of Christ. 
took care of the judgment for our sin. Past, present, future. However, the judgment seat of Christ takes care of the believer's works or actions. But that has nothing to do with eternal judgment. It has to do with rewards, what we get in heaven. And it is possible, listen carefully now, to enter heaven as a believer because of the work of Christ dealing with the judgment for our sin and yet receive no rewards because of our works on earth. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. It says he will suffer loss of his salvation. You're talking about works and the rewards. But he himself will be saved. Yet so as by fire. The death of Christ takes care of his punishment. The judgment seat takes care of his reward for his works. Now let's as answer the second question that is connected with this whole thing. It is this. If a Christian does commit suicide, can he or she go to heaven? Yes, the Christian can commit it, but will the Christian go to heaven? Again, the answer, in my opinion, is a definite yes. Of course they can. Let me elaborate on what I have said before. Let me go through it again. Because I believe that my understanding of biblical revelation relative to eternal salvation leads me to this conclusion. The act of suicide itself does not condemn anyone to eternal punishment and separation from God. Now notice I said the act itself. All right? Listen carefully. Salvation and eternal life are gifts that God freely gives to all who acknowledge their sin to God and trust him personally. Trust in the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ as the payment for their sin. And the Bible tells me that God does not take back the gifts he gives. But some says he's not an Indian giver. That's a bad thing to talk about Indians, eh? Anyway, God doesn't take back the gifts. And eternal life is a gift from God. Right? His death once and for always removed the penalty for all of the believer's sins. Past, present, and future. The writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 9 verse 6, Jesus has appeared once for all at the consummation of the ages, just the right time, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And God will never judge the believer who placed faith in the death of Christ. Never, never punishes him for the sin that Jesus Christ died for. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Jesus the, the, the God made Jesus the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him we become the righteousness of God. My friends, God never removes the righteousness he puts upon us. Through faith in Christ. Never. He cannot do it and remain God. Because God cannot lie. And he says he gives unto us eternal life. And Jesus is our righteousness. He's not going to give us Jesus and then take us back because of what we do. 
And so suicide, although an extreme form of sin, is nonetheless and is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, just like all other sins. The Bible assures us the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from some sins. Does it say that? All sins. Suicide is covered by the blood as far as the believer is concerned. Please listen carefully. Salvation for any person rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not in the committing or not committing of sinful acts. Did you get that? Here's another statement. The committing of suicide in and of itself does not condemn anyone to eternal punishment any more than does any other sin for which we have not asked forgiveness at the time of death. Because you see, that's an argument a person brings. If you commit suicide, that means you cannot ask forgiveness. Well, what about that sin of lying? Well, what about that sin of thiefing? And greed. And all of those other things that you didn't have time to ask forgiveness for you before you die. Are you going to hell for those? No. You place faith in Christ and his blood covers all of those one, all of those sins. For the genuine Christian, there is no individual act or sin that can erase salvation, change his or her eternal destiny, or separate him from God including the sin of suicide. Now again, what I'm trying to do is emphasize the comprehensiveness, the comprehensiveness of Calvary. It goes from time into eternity. I'm not trying to encourage anybody to take their life. You understand what I'm saying? Because life is a precious gift. Only God has the right to tell us when a life should end. Sometime as you go on, I can talk about this whole idea that people, especially in the States, I don't hear it here yet, you probably will soon, about the right to die. Meaning that I can choose when I want to die. Therefore, if I want somebody to assist me to kill myself, that's my privilege. I have the right. No, you don't. No, you don't. God is the only one who has that right. Salvation and suicide are two separate issues. We all have committed many sins throughout our lives. We all need salvation, totally apart from the issue of suicide. Each person must choose to accept or reject God's provision for our salvation as offered in and through the person and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that choice has to be made right now on earth. And when the choice is made, it sets us for eternity. Listen to what I quoted before, but look at what it says by the name of Jesus. There is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven. Notice that? Under heaven, not in heaven. Under heaven, he's talking about man living on earth. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Only in the name of Jesus. But once we place faith in that man, Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, he fixes our destiny in eternity. It's not only good for as long as I live here. It goes beyond. So actually, to be complete 
And so I actually should put it this way. The act of suicide itself does not condemn anyone to eternal punishment and separation from God unless the person is unsaved. In other words, if you don't make the choice to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you take your life, that's the end. No more opportunity. So in that sense, you can say, yes, that condemns him. You understand what I'm saying? But it's only if you don't receive Jesus Christ. My friends, listen, it is unthinkable to think that God would or can unborn one of his children. I know that ain't a word. <laughs> but I use it for emphasis. It is unthinkable to think that God would or can unborn or unregenerate any of his children for committing a sin for which Jesus Christ died. For a true child of God to be condemned for committing a sin for which Jesus has already paid the price undermines the very godness of God and the efficacy and completeness of the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, glorification, and present intercessory work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Listen carefully. Salvation for any person rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not in the committing or not committing of sinful acts. Listen to a passage of scripture. And if you can go to this passage and feel that you can lose eternal life. Or that anyone including yourself can take you away from God. Go get one check up someplace. Listen to the word of God. Romans chapter 8. Beginning at verse 33. This is the New Living Translation. Who will accuse God's chosen people? They are, of course, those who are saved. God Himself declares them not guilty. Now, keep the context now. If God declares somebody not guilty, who's going to dare to fly in the face of God? And accuse them of guilt. Who then will condemn them? If God clears them. Can you find anyone? Anywhere? To condemn them? Jesus Christ won't condemn them. Why? Because he died. Or rather was raised to life. And is at the right hand side of God. Pleading with him for us. He's still fighting for us. Who then can separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble do it? Some people believe that. In these hard, difficult economy times, they wonder, where is God? That's why we're trying to emphasize last Lord's Day. God is right here and his resources are here. We just got to go the way he leads us. Or hardship or persecution or hunger or poverty or danger of death. As the scripture says, for your sake, we are in danger of death at all times. We are treated like sheep that are going to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we have complete victory through him who loved us. Complete, absolute victory. More than conquerors, the King James says. Verse 38, I love this, for I am certain. See, that's why I can preach with absoluteness. I don't say, well, I don't think so. Well, I don't know what the Bible says. I know the Bible speaks to it. The Bible doesn't speak to it. I am certain 
isn't arrogance. This is conviction. I am certain that nothing, nothing. Now in the Greek, that word is very, very important. You know what it means? Nothing. nothing. <laughs> For I am certain that nothing can separate us from his love. Neither death nor life. Angels nor other heavenly rulers or powers. Neither the present nor the future. Neither the world above nor the world below. There's nothing in all creation that will ever be able, ever be able, ever be able to separate us from the love of God which is to Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, amen, and amen. And you want to say, we cannot know? Paul's masterful defense of the believer's eternal security in Christ is absolute and awesome in its scope. He states that what God did for the believer in offering his son to die in the place of, on Calvary is a guarantee of what he will do for them in the future and into eternity. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Paul is saying if you truly understood what God did on the cross, if you truly understood what it means for God to deliver his only son up for your sin. If you truly understood how that wrenched his heart as it were. If you truly understood what the father had to undergo to kill his son. Yes, the father killed his son. For you. And for me, Paul is saying, if you really understand this truth, if you truly understood what God did on the cross, you would not doubt your security in Christ. Would God do such a thing to his own son as he did to him on the cross if it were possible for someone or something to undo it? Will he allow such a tremendous event as Calvary to be undone, to come to naught? Ridiculous, says Paul. Absurd, says the apostle. Would God begin something he could not bring to completion? Impossible. If God did the greater thing to deliver up his son, can he, do, can he not do the lesser thing of keeping the believer in that Christ secure. Would he allow a puny sinner like me or you to undo the mighty work he did on Calvary? Foolish! Stupid! Sorry. <laughs> Crazy. Now another question that is connected with this is, is suicide the unpardonable sin? Now we could look at this in two ways. Is suicide the unpardonable sin? Because there is a specific sin that is called unforgivable. But we might also ask, is suicide a unpardonable sin? Now, because I am such a loving, gracious, compassionate person, 
we will finish this this evening. We'll finish that this evening. But I want to end with this though. Listen, God's love for us is so awesome. But remember this. He did not begin with the giving of his son. He began with the giving us of life. This life that we have is directly from God. We are created in the image of God. That's where the sanctity and the preciousness of life comes in. We are to handle and to treat our lives with that in mind. God is the one who still owns this life. He possesses this. Yes, things could get tough and get difficult. God's people sometimes could be unloving and uncaring. But God is always loving. God is always caring. And he always has a way out of the most difficult problems that you can face. Trust him. He will deliver you. That's why I say to people of God, oh please, oh please. Live with open hearts towards your brothers. Live with open pocketbooks and bank accounts towards your brothers and sisters. Their life is precious. And God might be saying to you, because I have blessed you with so much, I have done so, so you can protect the life of this individual. May God help us then. In this time of need and crisis here, to be those who provide the resources of God to those who don't have them right now, so that God will be glorified in our midst. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Bow just a word of prayer, and then we have our closing song. If God has spoken to you in any way, you need to make a commitment to him. I encourage you to do that, especially if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, this precious one, the name that is above every name, Jesus. He's here for you today. And he's saying, be reconciled to God. Would you place your faith in him, acknowledge that you're a sinner, that Jesus died in your place and God raised him from the dead to validate the fact that he died for you. Place your faith in him right now. For those of us who are believers, oh, pray that God will enable us to be helpers of those who need help during these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.